The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Very good morning, everybody. Welcome to the headlines. U.S. markets sell off going into Thanksgiving with President-elect Joe Biden calling on people to follow COVID rules over the holiday period, while rising jobless claims were worse than expectations. The Federal Reserve says adjustments could be made to its bond-buying program. This is ECB Vice President Luis de Guindos tells CNBC bank profits are set to remain weak but he insists the sector is resilient. This is temporary and that this is uh, something that is extraordinary. But, uh, you know, we are living extraordinary times. So if the situation, if the outlook improves, for sure that, uh, you know, we will act uh, accordingly uh, in terms of the different measures that we have taken. Well, yesterday, London stocks closed lower after the Chancellor of the Exchequer, Rishi Sunak, warns of an economic emergency. This as the UK faces its biggest GDP contraction in 300 years. Our health emergency is not yet over, and our economic emergency has only just begun. So our immediate priority is to protect people's lives and livelihoods. Plus, apparently, some questions are being raised over the way AstraZeneca and Oxford University tested their vaccine, with the head of the White House Task Force voicing doubts about trial data and the drug's efficacy rate. Picking up the slack, Salesforce reportedly holds takeover talks with workplace chat app Slack, sending shares up over 20% and putting the market cap at just over $20 billion. So let's kick off the program talking a little bit about that hard data in the United States. Weekly jobless claims in the U.S. rose faster than forecast as a surge in cases across the country weighed on the labor market. Claims for unemployment benefits came in at 778,000, with the hospitality industry taking a particularly hard hit. The total number of Americans receiving benefits now stands at 20.45 million, Steve. Right, let's uh, move on and take a look at some of these US indices as well. And I'm trying to think of the right metaphor. Is it like me with chocolate after Lent? Or is it me when I've done a dry January and I'm, I'm, I'm having a drink in February? Or is it in the old days when you used to go to a party where you used to look at the person on the dance floor who hadn't been out for a little bit and was just doing a little bit too much, uh, dancing around and drinking a little bit too much? Because I think there's something about the attitude of people now saying, oh my God, look at these markets. Do you see what happened yesterday? The S&P was down two tenths of one percent. It's like, calm down, dear, uh, as the great late Michael Winner used to say. I don't have there, but yeah, calm down on that as well, director. Down six tenths of one percent the Dow yesterday. It's like it's like my producer. I was like, I'll show you Russell two K, and I, I just had a great conversation with my producer, and, and like looking at Russell two K, I said, well, why are we doing Russell two K specifically? I mean, it's a very interesting index to look at. And she says to me, it's because it's broken its four day win streak, and I'm like. I don't care. <laughs> I really don't care. What I really care about is where it's come from and where it's at now. And the point is the Russell 2K, and this is my big point that I'm trying to get to about parties, about Lent, about dry January, is the fact is when you've had a period of, uh, of excessive moves in one direction, of course people are going to start thinking, well, it has to carry on like this, doesn't it? Uh, and it doesn't. 
Look at these month-to-date moves. We're right near the tail end of the month now. We've got four days. And by the way, happy Thanksgiving. I don't know if Jeff said it, but happy Thanksgiving to our amazing American audience and anyone else who's celebrating Thanksgiving here as well. Month-to-date, these markets have been absolutely stratospheric. So if you give back a little bit now, that's how it works. Anyone who thinks, and I know there's some of you who have never been through uh, some of these kind of market moves, anyone who thinks it just moves glacially in one direction, better, it doesn't. Market rallies look like this. Yeah? You go up, you give back a bit, you go up, you give back. That's historically kind of how it happens normally. So look, when I look at these US markets, and we've moved on apparently, but I'll look at the US markets. Month to date, the Dow is up 12.7%. The S&P is up 11%. The Russell 2K, which has broken its four-day win streak, is up 19.93%. The Nasdaq is up 10.8%. What do you think energy's done month to date? Energy stocks. Any ideas? 10%? 15, 20, keep going, 25, 30, 35% up month today. It's increased by a third in that. And that's at a time when you've got OPEC who's saying, oh, we're not going to um, pull back on our cuts. We're not going to put a bit more oil back in the market because we're terrified about short-term demand as well. And yet we've still put on 35% on those stocks. There's a lot of hope and exuberance in there over substance at the moment. Right, this is the Asian indices uh, coming through now as well. You've already had a quick look at them, didn't you? Um, <laughs> ASX 200. Again, you know, materials-based. Karen will know this amount, and we'll talk to her in a few seconds' time. Down seven tenths of 1%. The Shanghai Composite up 0.1%. Um, I know we're going to get to a Fed Minutes read in a minute, but I don't know if either Jeff or Karen want to come in. I, I know, uh, Karen, do you want to come in on the markets and then Jeff's going to come in as well? I just think people are getting a little bit overexcited about the big moves we've had uh, and have forgotten what a downtick looks like. Well, they have been big moves. I mean, that's been an extraordinary month of November, hasn't it? We've seen it right across the Asian markets as well. In particular, we've seen a strong run on news around the vaccine, also the US election result, all the, the uncertainty that investors had. Some of those boxes are just starting to get ticked at this point. And I think what you've had is a genuine rotation, a reshuffling where investors have said, I'm too cautious, I'm too concerned about getting into the markets at this point. And Steve, you were a bit critical, I think, the other week about uh, some investors getting caught behind. But I think that's what happens. People wait for some certainty money gets dragged off the sidelines a little bit more money gets dragged off the sidelines and you suddenly have this momentum but of course as you point out some of that momentum has to stop at some point and have a bit of a breather my question is what happens to the santa claus rally have we had most of the gains already for this year jeff uh santa claus rally we'll have to see i mean you put your tree up as we pointed out yesterday I put so my tree up well, there you One go. You put your tree up. Tree. So, this so is not the real tree. So the point Same. is, this is a mini point, tree, Jeff. As, as we mentioned yesterday, oh, well, you're going to have another big tree. Well, Karen's really pushing the boat out. She's going to have at least two trees this year. Yeah, I have two trees. But isn't, isn't Doesn't that, everyone have two trees? Isn't that the point? The point is, and you've summed it up very neatly here, that we've brought forward maybe some of those gains for the end of year rally, Karen. Um, because what happened yesterday was interesting. Uh, we were um, internally on email batting around this idea of how big the Dow has been so far this month. Um, and one or two people internally pointing out that this was the um, 10th best month in history for the Dow so far. The best move we've seen since January 1987. The well, issue... Some people think it's got religious overtones. Well... President Trump, maybe. Um, but the issue here is, of course, that the, the, the rubber meets the road on the economic data. And the data, as the Fed has continued to say all the way through this, is beginning to weaken. And it's 
just illustrative of the action that's been taken around the lockdowns. So the question you have to ask yourself, and I think this was what Steve was pointing out at the wall, is it is a two-way market. There will be days when it goes down. How strong is your conviction about the momentum to the upside here on the belief of better economic data on the vaccines next year? And should you be buying it now to discount the opportunity on higher economic performance, better corporate profits and better markets next year? Can I just chuck in one more thing? If the market really believed in this economic recovery as things stand as well, given what we've got on Capitol Hill, given what we've got with the presidency, given what we've got with the vaccines as well, why would we still be spending so much time worried about whether there'll be a stimulus package coming out? If things were so great as they stand, cateris paribus, why would the market be running so great? Why would we still be so obsessed by the stimulus talks? Cateris paribus, the market's already priced in the stimulus, hasn't it? I mean, that not that uh, what? That, that's, that's the condition of the market already. Arrogance, if it has. Well, don't, don't you think they already believe? I mean, isn't it funny how we would be sitting around this desk having a conversation two months ago saying, Biden, bad for equities. Trump, good for equities. By the time we ago, got we had the here... the same conversation the other way around. Exactly. By, the time, by the time we got here, it's like, oh, well, actually, we're going to have a Biden rally. There's a Biden put. <laughs> it's called the stimulus no, plan. Uh, and I'll, I'll let Karen do a Fed read in a second. But, but the fact of the matter is, this is what the market is. And this is what the scribes say. Oh, quick, we need a reason. AstraZeneca went down the last few days. We need a reason. Um, the market's up here. We need a reason. So very often, the market does its move, and then the scribes and the commentators try and find some reason that sounds rather plausible. But the fact is, we know it's actually about money flows many times. Anyway, anyway, Karen, the Fed officials are saying what? <laughs> Oh, yeah, let's get into the, the tone from the Fed because that was newsworthy yesterday that the Fed officials could make adjustments to their bond buying program, quote, fairly soon in a bid to support the economic recovery. Now, that's according to minutes from the latest FOMC meeting when the $120 billion a month asset purchase program was discussed at length. The committee also addressed the lack of fiscal stimulus, with some members worried about the diminished odds for further support. Jeff. ECB Vice President Louis de Guindos has told CNBC European banks are resilient in the face of the challenges posed by the pandemic, but profitability is expected to remain weak. This comes after the ECB warned in its latest financial stability review that banks will not see profits return to pre-pandemic levels before 2022. Aneta asked de Guindos whether the current level of provisioning is high enough. This is a very important issue because if banks start to under provision, that could create, you know, credibility problems, no, in terms of, uh, you know, the financial statements and the valuation of the assets. So, uh, according to our models, uh, banks are a little bit too optimistic. But we have to bear in mind that there are two factors that are important and relevant when you gauge the evolution of, uh, of provisioning. The first one is moratoria that has an impact, and the second one is public guarantee schemes. So, but all in all, we believe that, uh, uh, you know, there is a link between the profitability of the banks and, uh, you know, the level of provisioning. And I think that uh, there are differences across countries and there are differences across banks, uh, you know, in the, within the boundaries of a single, a single country. So I think that it's very important that, uh, you know, the level of provision is adequately, you know, adjusted to the evolution of the non-performing loans 
And again, I have to say, to repeat that, uh, you know, we, we expect that uh, the majority of the non-performing loans, you know, will start to come to the fore uh, at, the at the beginning of next year, in the first half of next year. Uh, let's look at the economic trajectory you're thinking will most likely will happen, because clearly the economic optimism is, um, <laughs> to say it mildly, reduced. So what is your outlook for the fourth quarter? Do you think we head back into recession? Well, I think that uh, you know uh, the outlook for the for the for the fourth quarter of the year is not very positive. I think that uh, our expectation that was a growth rate quarter on quarter, a little bit above three percent, is not going to be met. I think that uh, you know we we are going to go to negative growth in the in the in the fourth quarter of the of the year, because uh, with the new wave of infections, while governments have taken measures, they are not uh, as strict as the ones that were taken. In, in, in March, but are going to have an impact. And we have seen that some lead indicators point at, you know, a contraction of economic activity. So, you know, my personal view is that, uh, you know, in the fourth quarter of the year, we are going to see negative growth in the euro area as uh, in average. And afterwards, uh, you know, we will have to look at the dispersion around, around the average because the question of uh, the heterogeneity in terms of economic, uh, relative economic performance is going to be a very important element to take uh, to take in mind. Uh, I'm going to get to the next bit of tape in a minute, but my read, what was Jeff's reading there? The banks are resilient in the face of the challenges posed by the pandemic. Yeah, the biggest challenge was the fact that there's a negative 0.238% yield yesterday on the 10-year paper issued by the EU. Interesting interview that was. Right, Anetta also asked the Gindas about the ECB reportedly allowing banks to resume dividend payments next year. The suspension of payouts uh, was uh, an extraordinary measure, a temporary measure. Uh, in order to deal with uh, the pandemic. Uh, uh, well, uh, supervisory authorities, they have made uh, an effort in order to use uh, capital in order to maintain uh, uh, the level of credit. And I think that was the first priority because, because we wanted to avoid a credit crunch. So in that context, uh, you know, the suspension of dividends uh, has to be has to be set, has to be put, you know. And, uh, but I said before, you know, this is going to be a temporary measure. It's going to be something that is extraordinary. Uh, the, the uh, you know, the supervisory authorities have not taken, uh, you know, a, a decision so far. Uh, they are going to wait until uh, the projections that are going to be produced by the staff of the ECB, that, uh, you know, it will be, you know, on December the 10th, when, uh, you know, these projections are released. And according to that, we will take uh, our, our decisions. But it's very important to put it in a context and to say again and to stress and to emphasize that this is temporary and that this is uh, something that is extraordinary. But, uh, you know, we are living in extraordinary times. So if the situation, if the outlook improves, for sure, that uh, you know, we will act uh, accordingly uh, in terms of the different measures that we have taken. Look, let's call it how it is. And I've got one small comment, then Jeff and uh, Karen will come in. Look, there are problems caused by the pandemic. There are problems caused by the supply and demand of credit and the demand of good quality uh, credit as well, and the supply of good quality credit. But the fact of the matter is, some of the solutions from the central banks for this crisis mean that banks' profitability will be dented this year, next year, and for a long time as well. And I'll just refer to that point I made earlier on about the common bonds that were issued by the EU having a negative yield of 2.3%. I beg your pardon, 0.23% negative yield. I mean, how are the banks supposed to make any money out of this stuff? 
can't disagree with you. I mean, the, the reality is that um, uh, the banking sector is a vital part of the European economy. We know that unlike the US system, which has um, more of a markets focus, the credit mechanism in Europe is very much based around the banks. And if the banks are in trouble or you have problems around the banks, then you have problems around the lending mechanism and the credit function. And a little bit like whack-a-mole, every time the ECB has taken a step to try and uh, stimulate through monetary policy, it's had consequences for the banking system to the extent that back in 2019, of course, they had to introduce this two-tier remuneration system to try and at least provide some support for the banks that were being impacted by negative interest rates because negative rates inevitably mean not only that the banks are not making a turn, they're actually paying for people to hold the deposits. So there are significant consequences for the banks. Then what does that leave? That leaves credit growth. When you've got weak economies, you don't get credit demand, you don't get credit growth. Fee income from economic activity, oops, lower economic activity, lower fee income. So inevitably, it is very challenging for the banks in this environment. And I I think what we heard from Louis de Guindos was just, guys, it's going to be like this for a while. You've just got to accept that this is the environment we're going to have to operate in. A very sophisticated uh, capital markets union has been developed in Europe. Oh, no. CMU got put on hold when Lord John Hill resigned on the 25th of June 2016. And CMU has just been, well, what since, Karen? It's just not happened, has it? Right. I mean, one of the challenges, as you see, this clean up the consolidation inside countries, but not across borders because we don't have that banking union. But one of the points I wanted to raise from de Guindos in his comments yesterday to me that I thought was somewhat concerning. You know, we have this uh, trajectory, we think, for the banks where they've done OK in this crisis. The share prices look to be set for some recovery at some point in time, as you see an improvement in some of the beaten up areas of the market. Yet de Guindos is saying that uh, the provisioning, while it's gone up, it might be a little bit too optimistic given the challenges of next year. So what are we talking about here in Europe? Even more provisioning from some of those European peers versus the United States where maybe they're provisioned enough. So I think that's one of the big questions about the banking sector that I have. The other point too, I mean, there's a sense of deja vu about this whole conversation we've had. We've had it before in Europe for for many years as we've talked about the recovery process and getting out of these extraordinary conditions or the unintended consequences. The Fed was again talking about that in the minutes yesterday, uh, signalling that the committee may want to start talking about the fact that the balance sheet uh, expansion will stop at some point, uh, trying to send the signal that there is an end of the road for this. And they also started to bring out that phrase about unintended consequences. In the past, when we spoke about that, it was excessive risk-taking that we were clearly concerned about, that uh, market participants would keep on searching for as many risky assets to put in the portfolio that they could because they were just not getting a return on typical bonds or, or even on some of the mainstream stocks. So I think that's one of the concerns about you know what we've got in this crisis again as we watch the markets bounce to very high levels. Have we got elements of asset bubbles starting to form again at this point? Well, yeah, that, that's a great point. But I'll just make one more point as well. We talk about the, the provisioning. Have they got too much or have they done enough? This price-to-book argument, I'm getting a bit suspicious of the price-to-book of some of these banks as well because we talk about the massive discount that European banks are trading on at a price-to-book level. Do we need to just say that the price is fine for banks, that we are where we are, but actually your book value of your assets is way too high? 
When you've got quality banks like Santander and Intesa San Paolo, and I particularly on purpose took two good names, trading at around about 0.5 price to book, don't we need to start thinking, you need to change your book value, ladies and gentlemen? I'm sure that they've used very prudent accounting measures to come up with the appropriate oh, number for the assets. market thinks they're worth this. They think their book value is worth this. How long is this standoff going to last? And we will take you to break on that cliffhanger. Coming up on the programme, Germany extends its lockdown well into December. As Chancellor Merkel says, the country cannot be satisfied with partial success in reducing infections. More on that story in a moment. Listen to CNBC's Beyond the Valley, the podcast that explores the biggest tech news from across the globe. Join me, Arjun Karpal. And me, Tom Chitty, every week as we bring you insights into the top stories, unpack the latest trends, and find out where the industry is headed. Now available on Spotify, Apple Music, and Google Podcasts. You're watching Squawk Box. To the latest around coronavirus and the Trump administration, it's considering lifting its travel ban against Britain and 27 European countries, according to Reuters. The move has reportedly gained approval from several White House virus task force members, but the president has yet to decide on the proposal. Proponents of the repeal are highlighting the boost it would provide the US airline sector, which has seen international travel flows drop 70% this year. German Chancellor Angela Merkel and the country's 16 regional leaders have agreed to extend a partial lockdown until the 20th of December. The current measures, which are due to end next week, will keep restaurants and bars closed while schools and shops remain open. Merkel warned the crisis is far from over. The exponential increase in infection numbers has broken. The steeply rising curve has become a flat one. But this is only a partial success. It has saved us hundreds of thousands of infections, and thus also an overload of our healthcare system and many deaths. But we can't be satisfied with this partial success. The Spanish Prime Minister Pedro Sanchez says the government is considering limiting Christmas gatherings to six people. Uh, Charlotte joins us with more now. Charlotte. Good morning, Steve. Well, this report uh, came a couple of days ago on uh, the limitations that the government were looking at ahead of uh, the Christmas season. Um, so it, it would be six people for several days during the Christmas period with a 1 a.m. curfew on Christmas Eve and New Year's, New Year's Eve. Um, uh, but this uh, was leaked just before uh, a meeting between the health, uh, has, uh, the, the health heads of the regional governments, because remember that uh, Spain is a very decentralized country and so you have uh, this meeting regularly to come up with recommendations and a lot of regions were unhappy about this leak of this number of six as some of them are looking at something closer to 10 people like the region of Madrid and Barcelona. So yesterday the Prime Minister Pedro Sanchez came out to say that nothing had been set in stone and that nothing had been decided and so the talks uh, continue in trying to come with some common recommendations.
nation. And this is, in a sense, the latest chapter in this kind of tug of war between the central government and some of the regions. Remember that in the first wave, uh, the central government centralized all the power thanks to a state of emergency and was able to put the restrictions directly from Madrid. In the second wave, things were dealt with differently. The powers went back to the regions. And so you saw a lot of tug of wars between the central government and certain regions, in particular Madrid, uh, that according to the central government were dragging their feet and putting more restrictions while the new number of COVID cases was growing. So now they try to show this show of unity, come with at least um, common recommendations, in particular for Christmas. Then eventually the, the regions will decide themselves what they want to do, but they try to put on paper some common recommendations. Of course, um, this show of political unity is very important to have the agreement of citizens and to, to oblige by uh, these rules. So again, this is the latest episode here of some of the tensions, something I probably will see. We've seen in other countries, I've probably seen in the UK today, this tier system is about to be unveiled to show which region is under what restrictions. So this again, Christmas is one of these moments where these tensions are going to rise. Once, one final one is that this paper with these recommendations recommend that this, the wise men parade that is on January 5th, that is a big event in Spain for, for Spanish children, where the wise men parade in the city and before they give the presents to the children in the night, uh, they recommend that this is cancelled uh, this year. So a lot of Spanish children will probably be very, very disappointed about this. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show Weekdays on CNBC.